following discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. Could we become the first influencers on threads? It's going to take your young men, going to take your young women. Taxes, man. <laughs> the people find him and they're like, you're a king. And he's like, I was hiding with the bastards. Now they're going to have a king and do the same thing anyways. But worse. <laughs> All right, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Second Rate Saints podcast. I'm one of your hosts here, Caleb, and oh no, it's to my right. <laughs> How you can't say that, dude? Okay, to my left, uh, I'm Josh, and to my left, it's me, Caleb. There's just the two of us. There is. Mm-hmm. There's been a few of these these last few uh, yeah recordings. It's a little bit of a bummer, but you know what? It's a little little mono and mono time. It's good. <laughs> Are we fighting? Maybe. <laughs> we'll see how the episode goes. Okay. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, check us out on what we're doing online. We do some fun stuff. Check out the website, um, secondratesaints.com. Look at our Instagram. Um, Joel actually started a new... What's the new uh, social media that he started running? Threads. Yeah. Okay, so you're yeah. not uh, very happy about that. No, no. He's, no, it, it's... Uh, no, I think it's good. We should like spread out. Um, we've purposely like kind of not done anything on Twitter, which threads is just Zuck's version of Twitter for Instagram. Right. For the metaverse and all that stuff. And so it's, you know, it's new. So we'll see how it works out. But if it becomes as, you know, bad <laughs> as Twitter, <laughs> as Twitter, then, you know, maybe we should, uh, Jump ship. Just be on Twitter then. <laughs> or or neither. Uh, yeah, I, I guess. Um, but, but our our quotes are the good part on it. Yeah, we, we put quotes by books that we're reading or whatnot. Mm-hmm. There, there might be like announcements up on there and I don't know, it's a it's in progress. But yeah, check us check us out on threads, I guess, at uh, Second Rate Saints. Um, our YouTube channel, we're on YouTube, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, yeah, send us an email with your questions. But before we get into the topic, before we continue on with Samuel, Josh, what do you read? Yes. So I've been reading a book of short stories by a woman named Ursula K. Legine. Weird name. Yeah. I think she's French or like her family's French. And then she lived in America. Anyway, she wrote a section of short stories called The Wind's Twelve Quarters. That sounds like such a short story. <laughs> I know. I know. But there's there's like 15, 20 short stories in this book. It's only like 200 something pages. Um, she writes really good short stories. Okay. Really good. They're, um, if you're familiar with Ted Chang, he writes very big brain stories. Ted Chang was the author that wrote the story uh, that became the movie Arrival. Right. Um, you know, big brain concepts and stuff like that. And... Whereas she writes like f- mostly fantasy and sci-fi like parables. They're like maybe 20 pages long. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're good like 
they have some like a good twist, a good life lesson, a good like moral to them. Okay. Whereas his are like, here's how time travel works. Here's a fun thing with angels. And it like blows your brain. And it's like, here's another story about the tower of Babel. It's a cylinder. <laughs> and you're just like, what? Um, yeah. Yeah. The earth's not flat. It's a cylinder. And it's just like, Oh, that's, that's wild. Um, but she does like these good, like almost like she was like, her stories came out like in the fifties, stuff like that. Oh, so they okay. have the same kind of writing style as like Tolkien and like C.S. Lewis and like, Oh, this sounds awesome. Actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm- so like these little tiny, like, like, like imagine each of these short stories could be like a chapter in C.S. Lewis's Narnia. Okay. Like, it's just like, Oh, they go to an Island and then like some invisible kids stacked on top of each other, walk around as well. It looks like one single footprint. Like, from Prince Caspian or the voyage of Don Treader. Yeah. Um, where it's just like some out of pocket section the of the story where C.S. That- Lewis is just going on a rant uh, about dude, <laughs> now I'm going to do Midas touch, <laughs> but this time a pond. Yeah. So this one story that I, I read in her section was called the rule of names. Um, and it's a really good, it starts off really good and it ends off really fun. And it starts off with this little man named Mr. Underhill. Um, it's not his real name because nobody in this world uses their true name. Because when you know someone's true name, you have power over them. Okay, like uh, <laughs> like ancient Near Eastern yeah. uh, demonology. Yeah. Cool beans. Um, but it's applied to every person. Um, it's basically if you know the true name, you you have control of their essence. And you can command them into their to their true form. Um, and so this man named Mr. Underhill lives on this Island and this whole world is just a set of, Oh, it's an ocean with a series of islands and every Island has a wizard on it. And he's a subpar wizard. Um, okay. In the same way that this town has a subpar construction worker who just does like, you know, like everybody's doors kind of bad and everybody deals with some like less than great spells. Everything works, but like, eh. Yeah. Right. And so everybody loves Mr. Underhill. He's a quaint little man who lives in this, you know, this little house, basically kind of like a hobbit hole in Mr. the Mr. Underhill of the gives off hobbit yeah. vibes. Yeah. Um uh and so he's he goes to people's houses, but he doesn't let anybody in his house. Okay. Um he's very because he's a wizard, he's very secretive. Um and so they're on this island and he's walking back from getting some groceries and he walks past some kids in like their little school lesson and they're getting um they're they're learning the rule of names and why nobody gets told nobody is allowed to say their name everybody holds it secret inside they learn their true name when they come of age and then they never say it but so their parents know no then how do they get told who tells so, them their name Mr. Underhill is called Mr. Underhill because he lives under the hill. And uh, Mr. You know, Carpenter is called, uh, what's his name? There's like people with like Sea Captain Fogeno's cottage is just like Fogeno is just something like around him mm-hmm. and or like Goody Gold because he's a good guy. Um, and okay. Like, so like, you know, it's just these other names for people, um, not their actual name. Uh, or they they might just have a like a name that they go by, but it's not the one that's tied to their essence. Right. Um, it's me, Ralph. Yeah. Um, 
And so they're, he's going down, she comes across and they're teaching her about the name. And he's at, she's asking the kids, like, why do we not use our true name? And Mr. Underhin says, because the name is the thing. He said, this is in a shy, soft, husky voice. And the true name is the true thing. To speak the name is to control the thing. Um, and so it like kind of sets up this world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and after he gets back up to his room, his house under the hill, um, a boat comes. And it's a foreigner. Not many foreigners cross boats unless they're a trader, like a, a trade, like somebody who trades, not a, a, a trader. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this guy comes by and he's he's a seller of stuff, but he's got a staff. And so they're like, it's a wizard. There's there's going to be two wizards on the island. And then they're like, I wonder what Mr. Underhill's going to think. He's a bit shy and, you know, he's less than great. So like, if this, is he going to get jealous and stuff like that? And as this guy comes by, he has a black beard. Um, and so they call him Blackbeard. Um, and he comes to the island and he's, he's a trader and they're like, Oh, who are you? And blah, blah, blah. They're like, he's like, do you have a wizard? Right. And they're like, yeah, but he's shy. He's up in his mountain. They're like, He's like, huh, hmm, that's uh, that's interesting. Um, and they get talking about the stuff going on, and they were like, hey, have you heard about the uh, um, a the, you know, we haven't seen many of these certain types of wizards, these really powerful wizards, mm-hmm. these lords of what's known as Pendor, um, and they had this wealth and these this great stuff on this one island, um. And they were all wiped out by this dragon mm. that came by. Um, and it held there. And Blackbeard is the one that's telling this story. Um, and he's like, I'm looking for this green gem that was held called. Um, uh, one second. Uh, in Elkill. Um, it was a legendary stone, kind of like in uh, The Hobbit, the the o- Oaken Stone. Yeah. Um, the, the core of the mountain. Um, and this dragon took the, the wealth of these Lords of the sea who were these wizards. Um, and he said, um, and the wizards all got together from the other islands and they were like, we're going to take it back. We're going to defeat the dragon. And they got there and they found to the Island and they found it was empty. It had taken the wealth. it, It was gone. There was no dragon. There was just some, bones of the lords that were left and they were like oh no right right um and so they they track it down to another island and they find the bones of the dragon and apparently a great wizard had killed the dragon singular singular great wizard okay uh and they were like oh and he's like i'm looking f-, and the blackbeard says i'm looking for this wizard who has who would have the gem who would have this gem because it's mine because i am the last son of pendor and this this gem belongs to me, right? Um, and I know that I can beat this wizard because I know his true name, mm. and I've tracked him to this island. There's only one wizard on the There's island. There's only one wizard on this okay, island. Okay, and he says, "You should flee unless you want to see this great battle, moment, this wizard battle." And this this blackbeard's like, "I can't lose. This is going to go great." I I'm the best because I know his true name. I have ultimate power over him. I have the Trump card. I have the Trump card. Um, 
And so the the sea captain is like, well, I'm going to go see what's happening. He's about to attack Mr. Mr. Underhill. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> Mr. Underhill also has like, like uh, busted legs. Like, you know, like people walk duck foot, like their toes point outwards rather than straight. Yeah. My feet do that sometimes. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just a genetic thing. It's, yeah. it's, you're no less. And then my knees yeah. want to kill me. But what he, what he has is he has trouble walking and his toes point inwards. Ah, uh, that's worse. Yeah. So he, his like legs point inwards and it's awful. Um, and so uh, Blackbeard goes up to the mountain and he says, Mr. Underhill, uh, I, I know you're hiding in here because you know who I am. Um, I'm the last son of Pendor. Come and fight me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he like blasts the front door off of a Mr. Underhill's house and Mr. Underhill walks out. Um, and he, he starts to turn yellow and it, they have this battle and he turns into flame and the Mr. flame Underhill goes into the does. forest. And then Mr. Uh, Blackbeard turns into like a dam and like blows open the, like washes the forest over with the water and puts out the fire. But before the fire gets put out, he turns into like another thing and blah, 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 blah. And it's like this, it's a transformation battle. She was very CSS. Yeah. Until eventually, Mr. Underhill turns into a dragon. Mm. Um, and Mr. Blackbeard turns back into a human. And he says, it does not matter what form you turn into or how powerful you are. I know your true name. For your true name is Yavod. Become your, like, become your true form now. Yeah. And the dragon stays flying. And he says, Yes. My true name is Yavod, and my true shape is this shape. And he says, but the dragon was killed. They found dragon boats at Udath Island. That was another dragon. This is my true form. Hmm. And he kills Blackbeard by breathing fire and destroying him, and all that's left is fire. Um, and no one remembers the story. No one remembers Blackbeard or his arrogance or blah, 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 because only Captain... Uh, only the captain Fengorn or whatever his name was remembered. Yeah. But after about three days, people started to uh, come back to the Island. No, people started to realize that Mr. Underhill turns back into a human Mm -hmm. starts hanging out in his cave again. And people are just kind of like, what, what just happened? Right. Cause everybody left. Right. But they come back to the Island and they live their life. Um, The other thing they mentioned earlier on, and I should have mentioned this was a, uh, he mentioned that the only time the dragon would leave Pendor Island would be to eat what dragons eat, which is uh, maidens, right? Mm-hmm. The the classic idea. Um, and the story ends with nobody talked about Blackbeard. Um, nobody cared about the story. Mr. Underhill decided that since his true name was no longer a secret, he might as well drop his disguise. Walking was a lot harder than flying. And besides, it was a long, long time since he had had a real meal. Hmm. So this nice little man helping out this town gets called out. His true form gets mentioned and he's like, you know what? I liked being bad. That's funny. <laughs> so um, the book is full of stories yeah. like that and stuff yeah. like that. And like the, the moral of that story is kind of obvious. It's arrogance. Right. You know, when you, when you think you have your opponent defeated yeah. or, you know, someone in your life, Figured out. Figured out. 
and uh, they're not the person you think they are, or you're don't not assume a, that you yeah. that you know it all. Yeah, don't. Uh, Otherwise, a dragon's gonna blast you. Otherwise, <laughs> a dragon's gonna blast you. Um, yeah, and it's it's stories like that. You know, these little fun. Are um, most of them like sci-fi fantasy? Yeah, one of them is uh, this uh, guy that's trying to figure out the. Uh, it's a called April. Uh, uh, April in Paris. And it's this guy that lives in this like little house okay. outside of Notre Dame. And he, uh, but it's, it's a great little time travel story okay. through black magic. This guy that don't, don't, don't. <laughs> it's already, you've already spoiled one of the short stories. It's great. Um, it's great. It's great. You'd, you'd recommend it. Beautiful. It's yeah. awesome. That's recommend good. it. Yeah. Stuff. You, yeah. I, I always have to ask you, how's the cover? Yeah. It's a, it's a, like a two out of five, one out of five. And what was, what was it called? And who's the author again? Um, the Winds 12 Quarters by Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah. Cool beans. Yeah. Caleb, what are we actually talking about today? We're going to talk about First Samuel. We're going to continue our trip through First Samuel. Oh, I know, right? Okay. Yeah. I know, right? Um, yeah. We're going to pick up in chapter seven. We're going to go mm-hmm. from seven and eight. Um, yeah. We The last episode. Mm-hmm previously on second rate saints um we covered how the ark has its own little side quest and goes into the into the yeah. philistines land how that operates mm-hmm. how it god really saves the ark himself with no aid of yeah. the uh, israelites and some weird development and like revealing of mm-hmm. even the philistines thought and understanding of how the Israelite religion worked. It was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and the destruction of Eli's sons. Yes. Yeah. And the ultimate kind of growing up of, of Samuel. Samuel's now mm. like a full on adult. Yeah. And so this, I think these two chapters illustrate the most mm-hmm. of Samuel actually being the judge, the last judge yeah. of Israel. And um, the the first kind of of the new prophets, yes, yeah, um, which is what was prophesied to be of him in uh, chapter two um, with Hannah and stuff like that. Yep, um, which is super cool. Hannah's get it. Hannah's not done with the story. We'll get into. There's a couple. There's a couple callbacks yeah. that are kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it starts off with, you know, the Ark gets back and everything's, Hey, you know what? Everything's not bad. They return back to, yeah. back to worshiping God. Yeah. Things do you mind are, if I read that little, go for like it. verse three or whatever? Um, and Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord, serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away their balls and their ashtras, and they served the Lord only. Yeah. Which was not mentioned before. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also kind of the last um, judge cycle. Mm-hmm. The next one you can say is actually kind of the last judge cycle, but it's it's not a falling away and then they come back like the full blown judge mm-hmm. cycle. Um, but this appears to be the last. They fall away. They stop worshiping God. 
judgment yeah. of some description happens, then yeah. a God appoints a leader, he saves them, they worship yep. God again, they fall away, that whole cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of the last one. Yep. It's a where these two chapters act as kind of like a transition between 400 year history of a judge cycle to the monarchy mm-hmm. of Israel from constantly turning away from God to having God's anointed permanently someone on the throne permanently. Yeah. Of some, of some description. Yeah. yeah. And the struggles of if that's good, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. So Israel comes back. They've, they previously had fallen away. That was the whole motif of the, you know, the glory of the Lord had left, mm-hmm. but now Samuel initiates them coming back. And so they both start off with the sons of two people that were compared, right? So like chapters uh, five to seven, uh, four to seven. Yeah. Four to seven started off with the sons of Eli falling and losing the ark and the glory of the Lord leaves and his family dies, which was what was prophesied um, at the beginning of the book. Um, and also next to that was the rise of Samuel prophesied. And now you're seeing it start again with the son of Elkanah, who was compared to Eli mm-hmm. in the beginning, rising as according to the prophecy. Um, and he gets Israel together. And that like chapter seven, what it does so beautifully is it describes, whereas in under e, uh, Eli's sons, um, they fight the Philistines and they lose. Yeah. Um, they, they fight the Philistines, have a problem. They call upon God inappropriately and the ark gets taken away and the Israelites get defeated. Yeah. They want to use God. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one, uh, so in chapter seven, um, Samuel calls them all to assemble at Mizpah mm-hmm. to have like kind of essentially an intercession, um, repentance gathering essentially. Yeah. Um, and then the Israelites are like, or the, Fer- the Philistines are like, oh, you guys gathering up? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Are you all in one one place? Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is also because um, rulers, when the, so one of the ways that spies would know if, so the Assyrians did this, they would have spies in their vassal states. And when the king or people would amass together for rituals, a lot of those rituals were for pre-war like get ready. Yeah. Um, and so when they would see that happening, they, the Assyrians would get ready for war and preemptively strike. Right. Um, because of those warning signs. And so the, the Philistines are seeing that they're seeing the, the people get together to cry out to God. Um, and then they don't, whereas before they pull out the ark here, he leads them to cry out to God. And then they say, don't stop. Yeah. No, the Israelites are like, don't, don't stop. Keep, keep going. Do it yeah. again. We like, they don't even fight. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. So Samuel takes a, he takes a young goat, a nursing uh, lamb, a nursing, a nursing lamb. Yeah. Uh, does a whole burnt offering and then it continually intercedes. And then. And the Lord answered him. The Lord answered him, when Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day 
the Lord thundered out a loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Mm -hmm. So that's actually a callback to Hannah's prayer. In Hannah's prayer, um, it's verse 10, that... um, Yeah, the the most high will thunder from heaven and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. Mm -hmm. So whether or not that's a direct correlation, it's at least a pattern, um, a callback reference. Yeah. Um, So it's interesting. So there's, they come loud noise. They go, ah, and run. (laughs) Yeah. And the Israelites pursue them and and kill them as they're pursuing them back into the Philistines. Do you think... This is interesting. So there's a couple other times where God speaks and the people that are not directed to understand don't understand what's being said. They just hear a noise. Um, Like when Jesus goes into Jerusalem in the one account, he hears some people hear a voice, but others hear a loud noise. Hmm. All I can think of is Paul's yeah. version. There's Paul's version where they 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 There's, run away in terror because it's a well they don't hear a noise they just see the light. Yeah, only Paul hears the noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I then there's um, are you trying to say that maybe the Israelites heard something? No, I'm just saying that there's a there's an interesting it benefits them that they don't run away in fear. Mm-hmm. So it's, they're not afraid of it or their fear of the Lord leads them to obedience. I think it would be that their faith Mm -hmm. is what their faith in God's power and providence and protection is what causes them to associate the, the, the thunder. Yeah. And like, we're talking modern, modern people will go. Well, it's a loud noise. Who, who can mm-hmm. right? Um, you're talking about a, a group of people that viewed particularly um, um, bird signs and and signs in the skies yep. as omens of battle to come. Yeah. Um, and like there, like there's a couple interpretations right on how Joshua commanding the sun to be still. How that's actually a depiction of an omen mm-hmm. of of the position of the sun in relation to some other things about how that works, um, whether you believe it or not. There, there's some stuff there that, that I've heard in commentaries. And you, if you read uh, some accounts from the Romans, more so birds with them than actual yeah. uh, signs in the sky, but a culture that's heavily based on that, they go into a foreign land knowing that they're, okay, so they're doing some religious thing over there. They go in there and then there's bad omens all over the place. Mm. Man, I'm going home. Well, also this is, um, previously in the story, the Philistines in chapter four, five, and six mentioned that they know that the Lord, what the Lord did to Egypt. So the Philistines are familiar with Israel's history with great powers militarily. Mm-hmm. That means they're also probably aware of the, the, Joshua conquest with the hail, right? Falling from the sky. Um, you've got a, God wins battles many times with weather. <laughs> yes. So like, and the, the Philistines recently just saw the Lord wipe out their cities. 
with plagues. Yeah. Right. And so they've now got the ark back and they're trying to attack because they're in this long conflict with the Philistines. Yeah. And so this happened unlike the other times when they were unfaithful. So the Israelites are doing this right. They're, they're doing this religious sacrifice. Mm-hmm. They're obeying. And then this loud noise happens. I think the Philistines are just like, no, they, they're back on track. They're back on. Well, I think, I think it's like, also, it's, it's, is God it, is fighting. I, th- I think for it's them. both probably interpreted mm-hmm. as an omen. As well, yeah. well that, that would be what an omen is, right? Yeah, like, oh, yeah. their gods are with them. Oh, let's just yeah. not attack. Go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it's just so interesting because it's not just like a if a foreign nation who knew omens, yeah, is interacting. It's a foreign nation that has that has a lengthy conflict and understands Israel's religion because they even call God the Lord. Yes. The priests. And so, and they understood his sacrifice system. And so there's an interesting understanding that the Philistines have that other countries don't. Yes. That we also in the modern day don't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so they follow them back home mm-hmm. and they kill some along the way. It's yep. a big victory for Israel. Yep. Right. Which, which is a, uh, the both cases here where Israel defeats them on the wet running while before Israel ran away and they got defeated by the thousands, tens of thousands, yeah. um, is direct reference to the blessings and the curses of if you obey or if you disobey. Um, with the blessings of if you obey, it would be the enemy will run before you in fear in seven directions. They will come in one and run in seven, yeah. and you will overtake them because of me. Um, and then in the curses, you will run. And so before we saw the curse lift out of the disobedience, and now we're seeing the curse, the blessing of them obey. This is what happens when you do what's right. Um, they win. And then the Philistines are subdued. Israel wins. They actually even take Ekron and Gath. Which, yep. to be honest with you, before I was reading this, I kind of forgot about that. To be mm-hmm. So the Philistines must take those back at some point. Although I don't know if that retaking is, is listed. Because they have Ekron and Gath in David's time. Yes. And they Ekron was, and Gath were two of the cities that were attacked by the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. Yeah. 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 And so. Um, and, they, and the Israelites have peace with the Amorites as well, which would be on yep. the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, well, Samuel is, is, for the majority of Samuel's quote-unquote reign, there's peace. People are serving God. The text actually says they don't, they, they serve God only. They mm-hmm. put away the Baals and all their other, other idols. Things are good. Mm-hmm. Things are really good. Yep. But pattern. But pattern. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to mention. The Baals and Astros. Mm-hmm. Um, those were two significant gods in Canaanite mythology. Um, what's also interesting is, as we mentioned in the last episode, the goddess that kills her enemies and takes the hands and the heads from them uh, is like kind of similar to how God takes off the hands and the head of Dagon. Yeah. Right? What's interesting is she is a consort of Baal. Mm-hmm. And she's Hittite. Well, when you take that name, that parallel God, and put it into Canaanite theology, 
to Ashtara, mm-hmm. the consort of Baal. And so it they're not referenced yet in the story, except by this reference of cutting off the hands of the yeah, head. Yeah. And then it mentions that Israel puts away those gods. Yeah. As if he had done that to point out to the fact that you worship this God that does this thing, but I did it like in his own, own house, in his own house in an afternoon, yeah, like <laughs> without you, um, which is super cool. And everybody alive today would totally miss. It's not like, you know, you have to go to an obscure history textbook to find a reference like that. Yeah. And so, but like you said, pattern when Samuel became old. Well, should we talk about the stone? Yeah, sure. The Ebenezer Ebenezer, because um, for those who don't know, there's that song that I lift my Ebenezer. So I I didn't know this and I've always wondered, what does that mean? So Josh, what does Ebenezer mean? Uh, Stone of hope. Yes. Yes. Um, Which is also interesting. Do you think that's, there's something going on there with Ebenezer Scrooge? Like he's a nihilist. He has no hope for the future. I mean, knowing Charles Dickens, probably. Yeah. There's probably something. Not that I yeah. know Charles Dickens, but like I've read a bit of Charles <laughs> Dickens. Hold on. You hang out with him. I, on the, you know, I hang out with him on the weekends. <laughs> yeah. Um, for he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not get enter. So the Ebenezer was a stone, a memorial stone that was set up at Mizpah and Shen where... Uh, the Philistines were pursued and sent out of Israel from. And so Samuel sets up the stone as remembrance in a similar way that like when Josh crosses, Joshua crosses the river and sets up the 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel in remembrance of when they had left. Because the whole idea of the command in Deuteronomy to remember constantly, read the word, blah, 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 understand the law and remember so that you don't forget that your children don't forget. Make them remember. It also shows up uh, previously in First Samuel, mm. Ebenezer. Yes. Um, it shows up in four one and 5.1, where the Philistines slaughter Israel and also capture them. Mm. Um, and so there's a there's a replacing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. It's cool yeah. stuff. Israel's doing great. And then Samuel continues on a circuit. He just goes around a few cities um, and continues to be the judge and handle issues and fix people's problems like the like Moses set up the elders to do. Yeah. To set up and it ends with and he went home to Rama, which is exactly how his family story ends in chapter one. Yeah, because they just go home after they go home to Rama. Yeah. For a um, bit. And so, yeah. So what's interesting, it means also is that Samuel, not only did he have the year long connection, the once a year connection with his family mm-hmm. when they would come down, but it seems like when he became an adult, he just went, went home every now and then. Yeah. That he had a relationship with his parents. That's nice. <laughs> it's just super nice. And then he's like, this is my home. Um, and he sets up an altar there. And the idea is that like when the Philistines attacked previous, the altar in Shiloh may have been destroyed. Yeah. Uh, where Eli and his sons were. And so he might have moved the moved the shop over. A little safer. But he gets old. 
Old gets age old. gets to you, man. And Samuel has sons of his own. And they judge Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel. I'm sorry, Joel. Sorry, Joel. We're about to say some bad things. Uh, and the name of his second son was Abijah. I don't uh, know an Abijah. Neither do I. Uh, they were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in the ways, his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Oh, man. It's like we've read this before. Yeah. An old prophet, an old priest, judge. It's got to be infuriating. Oh. Yeah. Um, and so they they come up to the elders of Israel, come up to Samuel, and they're like, hey, your sons suck. He's like, I know. No. <laughs> uh, give us a king. Because we do not want your sons when you die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't want that to happen again. Which is like kind of fair, <laughs> right? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Now, of course, um, chapter eight gets into it. It is not. It, they don't have good mo- motives for this. And the consequences of it are not all that great either. No. Uh, but if you're just reading it from from their panicked perspective, you know what? Eli's sons were horrible. That was a bad time. Crazy amount of people died. Mm-hmm. Um, worship wasn't wasn't done right. Yep, there wasn't justice in the land. We don't want that. And once you die, that appears like what we're gonna get. Like fair. Yep. To be concerned. Yep. But there's no trust in God in that. Yep. And God does have in the law provisions for kings. Mm-hmm. Like there is the, the laws for the king. Ex, expe- there's an expectation towards kings. Yeah built in yep and why hasn't there been one in 400 years well gideon's son eh. <laughs> was like the king of a tribe for like a day yeah um that didn't work well the that's a that's a good conspiracy theory the actual first king not Saul. <laughs> yeah i don't think it works that way um so they're like hey you're getting old your sons uh really suck They do not walk in your ways. So they acknowledge, unlike Eli, whereas Eli was also bad. Eli was also not doing well. Yeah. Um, It doesn't appear as though Eli was as bad as his sons. Not as bad. It's like Eli was aware that he wasn't great, but he just couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. He was old, fat, and blind. Samuel is just old. Mm -hmm. He's not blind. He clearly sees. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he's not fat as far as the story is concerned, because he's not robbing God of his glory. It's not a main plot point. (laughs) Yeah. And the sons aren't even doing the same things that. No, they don't. They don't appear to be near as bad. No, they're just taking bribes and perverting justice. Right. They're just Eastern Europeans. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. Hey man. Um, are are you talking about in reference to political corruption? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, that happens here too. Okay. Which, so like whatever. which is actually a good jumping off point to this other idea that somebody pointed out um, is the leaders of Israel. So this is probably like the elders of the tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to, they think that this is a political issue. They think that it's a leadership issue. Right. Right. Well, and they look, um, they, they look around them and they see everybody else as a king. And they're powerful. They're powerful. There's a certain amount of stability, security, yeah. comfort, confidence. Because with it, you get a standing army, you get a kingdom, you get standardization, walls. you get, yeah. yeah, you get a, yeah, you get this 
a some, system. Somebody other than some prophet dude that, to come in and say, no, this is the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a standing army. Right now, they're working off volunteers whenever they decide to fight. Mm-hmm. They probably don't have any iron weapons. They're all dealing with bronze because as a nation without a king, none of the other kingdoms are going to let them have that. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have chariots. And chariots were the like the thing in the ancient world. Yup. Auto win button. <laughs> yes. Um, and so they don't have any of that. And what this one guy was pointing out was that they they think their problem is political. It's a leadership issue. And their their solution is political. Give us the king that everybody else has. But the the answer the problem isn't political. The problem is spiritual. Right. Because God made the provision that whenever they were obedient, they wouldn't lose. That God was the one fighting for them. And when they lost, it was because God was fighting against them. Yeah. Well, and, and it says explicitly that, that God mm-hmm. is their king. Yeah. Right. They operate as a tribal theocracy. Yeah. And by wanting a human king, they are rejecting. Oh yeah. The, the other term I heard, which was really interesting was a, they are a theocratic federation. That both sucks and is awesome at the same time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, there, there's a bit of um, ad hocness to their political, but it it it's also so simple, just obey. Mm-hmm. And when an enemy comes at you, God will fight for you, like they just had. Yeah, the thunder. Well, yes, yeah, right. Is the they will lose? Your opponent will lose because God will make it so. But. They think they're losing. A couple years go by. They see Samuel's dying away. This guy's not, they're not going to obey and lead us in God properly. But maybe a king will. So God says, give him what the people want. Yep. And Samuel's like, but no, they're bad. They, they don't want what's good. Well, in, in Samuel also lists a bunch of different things. Like, hey, he's going to give tenth of your tenth of your land, tenth of your crops. He's going to mm-hmm. take your young men. Going to take your young women. He's ta- taxes, man. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, and God is very overt in his. He says obey, but he doesn't say that what they're doing is good. No, because this is this is what God says to Samuel. So he says, "Give us a king to judge us." And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel. Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me for being king over them, as you were saying before. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so that they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. It's interesting. The um, I think it's actually uh, Victor P. Hamilton in his handbook mm-hmm. on the historical books. He points out that uh, only the only the elders say, "Give us a king, so we can be like the nations around us." Both when God quotes them, like says, "This mm-hmm. is what they're saying," or when Samuel quotes them, they remove the uh, "be like the nations around them," yeah. almost as if the idea itself is too blasphemous. 
Yeah, well, actually, because here's the thing, right? To be like the nations around them is exactly the opposite of God's opening to the law, which is be holy like I am holy, yeah. which is be set apart. Yeah, be the, not be like the, the kingdom, nations. Yeah, be the kingdom yeah. of priests. Yeah. yeah, be the kingdom that is not like the nations, the mm-hmm. goyim, mm-hmm. which is a still a term that... The slur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and you don't want to be like the nations. The nations are bad. The nations are where the evil is. The nations are where the, 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 the tempters and the, the mockers and the sexually immoral and the, the, the godless, the, the godless. Fools, yeah. The, yeah they that. don't, they don't know the left from the right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're like, yeah, but we want to be like them. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's, it's interesting that, that both Samuel and God don't quote that part. Yep. Almost as if the, the, the thought itself is too much to reiterate because it, mm-hmm. it fundamentally ignores the concept of the covenant. Well, and even Samuel doesn't talk in the first address to him mm-hmm. like he's supposed to. He doesn't respond. He prays. Mm-hmm. Right? Because he's, it's not, it doesn't matter what he thinks. It matters what God thinks as the prophet, which is also um, many kings get into this problem of where like they go to war because they rely on their army instead of praying to God, if they should go to war, it's the same kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Like they, they, they take matters into their own hands. Well, it, it's funny because it appears just to be as though God does care about what Samuel thinks. Yeah. There's a little comment of, Hey, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Samuel hasn't said anything. Yeah. And the Lord's like, Hey, I know what's in your heart right now. I can hear you talking in your head. <laughs> um, it's okay. But, it, but it, yeah, and God has God tells them three times. One of them explicitly gives them a king. All, yep. all three times is, hey, give them what they asked for. Give them what they asked for. Yeah. Give them what they asked for. Give them a king. So, Josh, what does, like, what is Samuel's warnings? Yeah. What so, does the king do? This is what he says. So, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint to himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and the vineyards and the olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the 10th of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to the officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and he will shut and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So two things. First of all, yeah, the Bible's super happy on monarchy, (laughs) isn't it? Totally supports power structures always. <laughs> yeah. Not really. No. Uh, second point, that doesn't seem to be a description of Saul or David. Maybe mm-hmm. even more David than it is of Saul. Yeah. And here are the things that do happen, right? Is um, Saul does take their sons to be soldiers, mm-hmm. right? He does take... It does seem like for him to have a kingdom, for him to be the he king. He has taxes. He has taxes and he has food. But the but the people aren't slaves. They mm-hmm. they like Saul. Mm-hmm. In fact, they just like David more. Yeah. 
They, at, he killed his thousands. David kills his ten thousands. They're still saying Saul is doing great. Yeah. Um, and all of Saul's problems are with Samuel and with God and with David. Yeah. They're religious problems. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're his personal issues with the people around him, not with his kingdom. This describes all political problems. Yeah. And so I also, the Lord does answer in those days. Mm-hmm. The days that we're describing those. However, later on in, in Samuel and in Judges, well, not Judges, in Kings, Kings and Chronicles. Kings and Chronicles. Um, that's what I meant to say. Um, God just lets them have their their evil kings. Which is very much in Romans. Mm-hmm. Let's them lets them have the 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 horrible, wretched things that yeah, they do. It gives desire. them into their own heart's desires. Yeah. Well, and even even in this, it's like we're saying, like when he speaks to Samuel, he says, the people have rejected me, but give them what they desire, right? It, it's almost as if he's like, you know, just do it, right? We know that this is a, potentially a bad idea, right? Because they're rejecting me, but just give them what they want. You don't see Samuel's voice in this. But then with this, you see directly, oh, this is what God thinks is going to happen. But but not right now. And so but it ends with this like really interesting interchange, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but there shall be a King over us. So God tells them all these warnings through Samuel and they're just like, nah, give us a King. Yeah. Sure. That might happen. Give us a King. Well, I think it's the, if we're going to try to understand them, You've read. You've just read through Judges, mm-hmm. right? You've just read through how this everything happened with Eli. And you yep. get up. You get up to this point in the last Judge, and it's just like, okay, well, his sons are doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Let's change the system then, because mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like the system's working. And they, what it appears like to me, at least, is they blame the system when it's been the people. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Even though Israel is coming back into God. Mm-hmm. Chapter seven was very clear that they they turn back to God, fight God fights for them, but that's several years ago. Yeah, that would be when Samuel is a relatively young man, younger mm-hmm. man, younger man. Yeah, and now he's old. He's old, and so this is this could be a different set of elders too. Yep, this probably is a different set, set yep. of elders, and it's uh, they're they're just seeing that like despite the fact that they're that they, they think that the reason they were successful was because their army was successful. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's, it's, it, do you mind going into a little bit of like what, like listed how a King operates a bit like politically in relation mm. to his people, but how were Kings viewed yeah. in the ancient Near East? If you don't mind, I, I saw you went over that a little bit. Yeah. So Kings in the ancient Near East, specifically in that period, like that area and that period of time, mm-hmm. not, and you'll see similarities with like European Kings, mm-hmm. but not to this extreme. Um, the, the Kings of the ancient Near East were seen as the, the intermediary between the divine and the human. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they were gods themselves, like sons of gods or half gods or divine partly. And then when they would die, they would become gods mm-hmm. in most places. And into certain areas, there's aspects of this that are not held and aspects that are. 
Yeah. So it's, it's a fluid idea. Depending. Yeah. Um, and they were often depicted as shepherds and they were often had priestly duties. Um, like for example, the, there was some of the Sumerian Kings had very, like they would do like a version of the sacrifice of atonement mm-hmm. one day a year. Um, which is very similar to the Israelite idea, but it was separated from the king. Yeah. There was only the high priest. But then near the end of Israel's history, it's kind of the high priest and the king become. It's almost like they're, they're as C.S. Lewis has said, dreams of things to come. Yes. Echoes of things to come. Yeah. Where you see them in, in the, if you want to go with, if you want to go like crazy deep, mm-hmm. weird, the the union idea of there's certain markers that manifest in multiple mm-hmm. areas of culture, yet they don't quite reach together yes um that went really weird and then we're back well, no, no, anyway. no it's it's there's a to i think because we have time to talk about it is there's this there was this comparative idea within christian thinking um is are all the religions in the ancient near east related because of a thing called original monotheism mm-hmm. where there was an a, there was an original creation story genesis that over time got changed like if everybody came from adam and everybody knew the story, right? And everybody was at the Tower of Babel and then got the this destruction. Person. Like that as the, Genesis would read naturally. Yeah, that the, the story would get corrupted over time by people not in relationship with God, mm-hmm. right? So that's why certain creation stories sound similar to the Bible's creation story. Um, or is it that you've got all these various religions that through communication start to take on aspects of each other and God takes that story that these people are surrounded by and modifies it to present him in it. Yeah. When you also, you also, that combined with the idea that mm -hmm. people search out for truth. Yeah. Right. Um, You will find like people, there's no shortage or specifically Catholics that talk about how close Aristotle is to like as a pre-Christian philosopher, how close he gets to some Christian articulations mm-hmm. of of god and of certain yeah. aspects of ethics and they're, had, like, uh, they're like holy moly he is so close yeah like for 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 the uninitiated aristotle had three gods so to speak the one the logos or the word and the world spirit that's a pattern. <laughs> that's a very similar. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's interesting how close you see other religions where, where it almost mm-hmm. as though I think C.S. Lewis goes a little too far with this when every time that he, he goes, he mentions this. He, I don't know if he has a specific essay on it, but you see it kind of percolate in a couple mm-hmm. of his, couple of his essays. The idea that uh, within the human mind, there is this, um, there's like a, a blueprint, a stamp of, of the way we are, ought to think of what we ought to believe, what real, what true religion is. And it yeah. manifests in aspects in different ways. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. It's well, an argument it's, people make. Yeah. Well, I think it's similar to the idea of like the, there's a God shaped hole in each of us. Um, there's the, also the idea of like the laws written on our hearts. Mm-hmm. Like we know what we should and should not do, but it's corrupted to in a sense because yeah. of the sin. Um, we, as creators, in the same way that the demons, when they see Jesus, they know he's the son of God and they obey him. Yeah. In the same way that when uh, also um, Absalom, sorry, Abimelech in Abraham's story, when God speaks to him, he knows he's God. Yeah. But just instantly, 
knows that it's the Lord, right? Why? Is it because God as the creator has like in our source code, like placed his identity? Source code. (laughs) You know, that like we just, when he communicates with us, we immediately know who he is because we're dealing with the creator. But when we're not interacting with him in this, in the, in the fog and in the mist that separates us, sure. we don't see him. Sure. But I don't know. That, that could be an interesting idea. Just mm-hmm. talking about that, because I know, I know there's a whole subcategory of Christians that dive into union psychology yeah. and archetypes to make those arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, like Stuart the, um, would be losing his mind right now. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but there's a, there's an interesting final thing I want to say is like, there's an interesting idea that it's like, when you hear something that's true, you're like, yes, that's it. I just didn't have the words mm-hmm. to, to say it, but I felt it right. Is that similar? But back to Samuel, they say, no, but there shall be a King over us that we also may be like all the nations that our King may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles, which is exactly what God did. Mm-hmm. But he went out before them in the ark. Um, he was their king who would judge them, and he was fighting their battles. Mm-hmm. And they said, "No, we want a want a man. We want a golden calf that we can see." Now, and when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them to the ears of the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel. Obey their voice, make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Yeah. So it doesn't appear as though Samuel's in a rush to make this happen. No. Um, but what is interesting is God does plan on giving them a king. Mm-hmm. He, We just did a series on Ruth. The end of the book is... This is the line of King David. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and the assumption would be that Ruth is is a reflection of, of the uh, monarchical time back mm-hmm. into yeah. previous. Yeah, the, an understanding looking back on history. Oh, God was providing us with a king. The whole time. Before we even wanted one. Yeah. But God gives them the king that they want, not the king that he... Yeah, I'm I'm super excited to get into yeah. Saul. Oh. Yeah, well, because like we mentioned, is Saul's problem is with God, Samuel, and David. It's not with the people. I I, I got a question for you. I know it's unrelated to Samuel and all the texts <laughs> that we just read. Um, do you sympathize with Saul like more than it seems? obvious i don't know yes for whatever yeah. reason i sympathize with Saul. like yeah everybody has their moments with david where they're yep. like this is interesting you know like oh i i totally i i get what he's what he's like like of course i'm not a king in ancient near east but um there's certain aspects of like just like oh i know that feeling and then when it's described in psalms mm-hmm. like i know that feeling there's other times where it's just like man oh i think Saul is who we are in our worst days as christians mm like we know better, but we made the wrong choice and we're just sticking with it. Mm. And David's who we are in our best days. We're wrong. We know it. You're but we always forget. wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and we're wrong. We know it. And we ask for forgiveness. Right. Um, and I think, um, 
Because Saul, you know, we're going to get into it. He starts off as he has the spirit. He prophesies. He he does the thing that every king does. When the king wins his first victory, he's established as the king. Mm-hmm. Um, he wins. It's, it's he good. secures the border. It's good. He he just messes up at the end. Great start, mediocre middle, and then just terrible ending. Like a bad HBO show. <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I've always felt sad about Saul where you're just like, ah, he had a rough, he didn't help himself. No, but it's kind of like he was, it kind of felt like he was not dealt a bad hand, but a like a hard hand. Cause he didn't want to be King. It, yeah. He hid among, well, we'll talk about it, but he, he hid with the baskets. <laughs> he <laughs> he was a luggage. <laughs> then he was a foot taller than everybody else and handsome, which is a weird note, but all right. Well, well, it's not, it's weird, but it's also, that's who the people see a king as. Mm-hmm. Tall, handsome, strong. Yeah, which he, he was. Hiding, hiding with the baskets. Not the, yeah, the people find him and they're like, you're a king. And he's like, I was hiding with the baskets. Yeah, not, and he's a farmer. Oh, there's an interesting parallel. This is a thought in real time. David is a shepherd. Mm-hmm. Saul is a farmer. Saul is older. David is younger. Cain and Abel. Oh. One offers a sacrifice that is not good. I don't know if there's a parallel there, but there's a pattern. There's a pattern. Interesting. And then the older tries to kill the younger. Yeah, but like some of the things are reversed. Like, because Saul tries to kill David. Yeah. Like Cain, the farmer, tries to kill Abel the shepherd. Oh, yeah. 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 And Saul's driven out. Rejected. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to read about this. Yeah, we're going to have to. Th- that'll be next next week. This was a good thought in real time. Interesting. This might, <laughs> this might reappear. Yeah. But so the next episode will be on the three chapters that are Saul's rise to kingship. Mm-hmm. Nine, 10, and 11. Um and they do like four, it covers four things that are like, he's king. Um, this, this is Saul in the good years. Saul in the good years. And even even a bit, and then it gets into David. <laughs> oh, Pretty quick. Pretty quick. Okay. Um, and then, yeah. But this is a transition for Israel. They're not, they're not in the time of the judges where they're haphazardly being taken over by other nations. Mm-hmm. And like switching between basically apostasy back to worshiping with God, back to apostasy, yeah. worshiping with God. While worshiping other gods the whole time. Yeah. Um, now they're going to have a king and do the same thing anyways. But worse. <laughs> but don't worry, there'll be occasional times of good times. <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening thus far. Um, I'm looking forward to continuing this series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, check us out on our socials. Check out um, our website. You'll find most of the links to what we do there. On uh, That's at secondratesaints.com. Uh, our, webs, our YouTube channel. Um, we're on Instagram. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and now Threads. Yeah, don't forget well. the Threads. The Threads, ooh, man. Got Could a- we become the first influencers on Threads? That is... No, actually that's already so it just came out and there's already a hundred million people on threads Holy moly. 
Well, we are one of them, so you should join it, and uh, we can both learn a new platform together. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't have an account on Threads. Never will. Really, you won't? Don't care. Well, hey, you're supposed to follow the podcast. I do. I can't guilt our listeners into into following us on Threads, but I can guilt you. No. I am. No. Well, you I got, do not want you to. You got slope shoulders then. <laughs> All right. I'd like to thank you all for listening thus far. Um, I'll look forward to, I don't know, meeting you in the comments, I guess. Shoot us an email, uh, secondratesaints at gmail.com. Love those emails. They're great. And we try to respond to them as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Also, send us books. Yeah, book recommendations are good, too. Or just physical books. Anyway, Josh, I'm going to end it, okay? Okay, just end it.